to you, Roch, and to the elders for the invitation as well as the trust that you, you give me to come and share God's words with you. And uh, as Roger said, that we're going to be looking at one particular uh, topic around mercy and justice. So we'll be looking into the book of Micah. That's where we're going to be uh, going through. But I just wanted to give us a bit of context uh, with regard to the book uh, before we get to read the passage. And I think that will help us. So the book of Micah is, is a very short book, but a very powerful prophecy that we get to see Micah bringing, predicting the fall of Jerusalem in Samaria. So he's giving the message to say God is going to judge his people. But at the same time, he's offering the message he brings from, from chapter 6 to chapter 7, he's bringing the message of hope. He said God is going to actually come for his people. So Micah dealt with issues of rebellion, injustice, and corruption during his time. He spoke of judgment against the leaders of Israel who favored the strong to take advantage of the weak. And Micah's message to the leaders of Israel and the, prophet, the prophets was very clear. This is what he had to say when we read chapter 2. Just to summarize, then I'm going to call up my sister to read for us. What a sorrow awaits you, he said, you who lie awake at night, thinking up evil plans. You rise at dawn and hurry to carry them out, simply because you have the power to do so. When you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, you take it through fraud and violence. You cheat a man of his property, stealing his family's inheritance. Then he goes on, speaks about the prophets who are giving false hope to Israel. They were telling people to say, you know, if you give money, you are going to receive God's protection. Then he stood against those prophets and said, this is a lie because God has withdrawn his protection over Israel. The message we are giving to the people is not a true message. As I said, he had a message of God's judgment, but at the same time, there was a message of hope that he was giving. That God is going to come back for his people. So this morning, we are not looking specifically on the part of Micah's book where God is bringing judgment, but we are looking at where God is communicating hope for his people. And I prayed before coming here that God will speak to you individually as well as a community, as a church community in the season that you are in. By the way, I love the fact that your series is called The Way of Jesus because that's what we have to talk about. It's looking at the way of Jesus in the area of mercy and justice. Over to you. So I'll be reading from Micah 6, um, from verse 1 to 8. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and your enduring foundations of the earth. 
For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up to the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your words. It's my prayer this morning, Lord, that uh, you help us. You open our eyes to your words. It's my prayer that you speak to us individually. It's my prayer to that this morning you'd speak to us as a church. In your name, Christ, I pray. Amen. In this chapter, Micah chapter 6, God reminds his people of how he has cared for them in the past. Think about this. God reminding you of the good stuff that he has done for you in the past. More often we do forget as Christ followers. God is reminding them about the things that he has done for them in the past. Micah questions how he can restore, he can be restored to God. That's what we find in verse 7. He goes so far as to suggest sacrificing his own child. He says, should we sacrifice the first child or our firstborn so that God can do with, maybe God will remove our sins. As I said earlier on, he was dealing with at least three things. The Israelites had rebelled against God. They walk away from God. The leaders were corrupt. The prophets were living in serious destruction. Micah questions how he can be restored to God. As we see in verse 7, should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our first children to pay for our sins? Here we learn that Micah, Micah shows the desperation that God's people felt to return to him. The statement is very strong, showing the desperation of how God's people wanted to get back on the right track with God. But immediately, you learn that in verse 8, you realize that salvation is of God alone. There is nothing that we can do so that God can take away our sins. It is the work of God himself. 
So sacrificing the first child was never going to solve the problem. We see in verse 8, Micah reminds himself that God has already shown the way. That's why I want us to spend some time in verse 8. He reminds himself with a new statement. God has already shown the way. And it's quite simple. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. God desires obedience more than sacrifice. We cannot sacrifice our kids so that God can do with our sins. God is calling you as his people to his obedience. There are three commands that we see in this verse, which I'll deal with right at the end, but I would love to answer one question this morning. Why mercy and justice? Why mercy and justice? Just to remind us again that we are in this series of the way of Jesus. Now the question I want to answer is why mercy and justice? The short answer to the question, but I'm going to start by giving us a long answer to the question. At least two reasons. The first reason is in the doctrine of creation. When you think mercy and justice, you have to think in this way, God made every human being in his own image. People are not objects. They are not commodities to be used. You know, the young boy who is standing by the roadside begging, the woman who is selling by the roadside, the prostitutes who are standing, you know, the truck driver, you know, a man who owns a business and leading a very successful business, when you look at all these people, one thing you have to remember is that we are all made in God's image. The second, the second reason in the Old Testament is the doctrine of redemption. Very important. God tells Israel... <clears throat> The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourselves. For you were aliens in Egypt. You know, God is reminding his people, I have done great things for you. You have to remember that you were slaves. I did it for you, but right now, I want you to remember that also to treat people who are amongst you, who are not like you, who are not looking like you, who are not even confessing the same God as you, I want you to treat them as one of you. Now, cross followers, think about this. It is so easy for me to relate to someone who speaks just like me, the person who believes all the things that I believe. The person who looked like me, it's very easy for me to do that. That's not a big deal. But is it the same to do, this, the, you know, to relate to people who are not thinking like us, who don't look like us, who don't speak like us? I don't think it's easy. This is quite a bit of a long answer, but a short answer is this. Justice is rooted in God's character and creation. 
So why mercy and justice? Because justice is rooted in God's character and creation. Leviticus 19, verse 37, God again said to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God. The Israelites had been aliens and oppressed slaves in Egypt. They did not have the ability to free themselves. God liberated them by his grace and power. He set them free by his grace and power. For me, every time when I have to think about justice, mercy and justice, I have to look at God himself. We are told in scriptures, he is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. That's the God we worship. A faithful God who does, does no wrong, upright and just is he. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. That's what we are told in Psalms 11.7. You want to know the reason why mercy and justice? Because the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The maker of heaven and earth upholds the cause of the oppressed and loves the righteous. Again, that Psalms 146. The Lord Almighty will, will be exalted by his justice, Isaiah 5:16. God's character includes a zeal for justice that leads him to love tenderly those who are socially powerless. Psalms 10:14. This is God's way. So, Christ followers, we have to know that our salvation is by grace alone in the power of God through the work of Jesus Christ. And as we go, I am going to show us that we are not to do justice from a place of obligation. We have to do justice by understanding that we have been saved by grace and grace alone. We were once slaves to sin and God has done something taking us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light so that we can well represent Jesus in this world. Isaiah 53 actually explains what God has done for us. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. That's what Jesus went through. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all Love us. He put it on Jesus. God said to the Israelite, I saved you by grace and power, therefore you are to treat all people with less power or fewer assets as neighbors, doing love and justice to them. You have to show love to them. You have to show justice to them. So to the question of why mercy and justice, when we do justice, we have to do it from the basis of of salvation by grace alone. Doing justice is salvation by grace alone. You and I may disagree about 
the particular, maybe you may say that blue particular political party, the yellow or the orange, we may disagree about the approach to the problems of injustice, but there are at least two things that you and I have to agree on as Christ followers. The first one, our passion for justice. All of us as believers, we should have the passion for justice. And the second one, our personal commitment to correct injustice through personal giving, sacrifice, and generosity. Every Christ follower has a role to play. God blessed you where you are for a reason. God blessed you in this community for a reason. God blessed you in that particular work where you are for a reason. God blessed you in your community for a reason. There are a lot of injustice that is happening everywhere around us. We have a personal commitment. The church has a commitment when it comes to issues of mercy and justice. I love as we were praying in the morning, someone said that, you know, one lady prayed about the church being the hope of the world. But you cannot speak hope if you don't embrace mercy and justice. And when we think about the gospel of the cross and the kingdom, you know, it brings deep, powerful social changes. I want you to go read history, look back wherever there is revival, wherever the gospel breaks in, not only people were saved, but there were so many things that were changed and transformed because we don't just get transformed and remain the same, but we get transformed from inside out and we became agents of change. And if your gospel isn't powerful enough to get you to a point of embracing mercy and justice, then I have to say, mine is not like that because we get transformed from inside out so that our eyes get open to the things that are happening around us. We have to start to desire to see change and not only change for eternal purposes, but we see change for what can be done right now and right here. The gospel defies the value of the world, power, status, and wealth. You know, the gospel breaks into those things. The gospel is so powerful that if it changes us, it actually touches even our attitudes to the point that we start to look at the poor, we start to look at the issue of status in the world or our careers. We start to look at those things very differently. And I've come across people, the idea is not to emphasize mainly on evangelism because you got people or churches that said, no, can't we just do evangelism and forget about the social justice? Because you get consecutive kind of mindset that said, let's just do evangelism. But you've got also another group of very kind of liberal mindset who says, let's just focus on social justice. I am not here to, 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 to preach to you social justice. I am here to preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ that touches all aspects of life. So evangelism is great. Social justice is great. We have to put emphasis on both. 
We cannot say that, no, we are just for evangelism or we are just for social justice. No, it is the gospel that changes us. Therefore, we start to desire both. Now, I've got another question is, how are we called to engage? How are we called to engage? So the short answer is, you have to pray, or we have to pray as a church. Asking God to open our eyes to see the stubborn facts of our church. Asking God to open our eyes to see the stubborn facts of our community, of our area. At the same time, we have to pray, asking God to open our eyes so that we can see the gospel opportunities. I can assure you that in all situations, there is always gospel opportunities. Because I've walked a most difficult journey. I've been in this country for 20 years, but I've seen that in my situation, there was a gospel opportunity, if not for some Christ followers who prayed and saw something in me, I wouldn't have been standing here sharing God's word with you. It is because they were very attentive to God's spirit, and they allow God to lead and guide them, they prayed. That is a short answer. You have to pray and ask God, what are some of the stubborn facts of our church, of our community, in my workplace, in my family? And what are the gospel opportunities that are there? Here I am. Send me. To paraphrase John 12, 49, Jesus' word, he spoke about, I don't speak on my own authority. Friends, I'm not here to say that you have to go in your own authority. We are following the way of Jesus. Even Jesus, when he stood, he did all that he did under the authority of the Father. And I have to tell you, when you read John chapter 5, it was not the problem of Jesus healing the man on Sabbath. It was the problem of the Jews feeling like you are claiming to be coming from the Father, or you are saying that you have a close relationship with the Father. This is blaspheming. You are blaspheming the name of God. Because Jesus spoke about whatever I do, I do because the Father is doing what I am doing. Friends, we cannot do it without him. We don't have the power to do what I'm talking about without Christ. We can only follow the way of Jesus. How are we called to engage? Now, let's pick up one of a few stories on how Jesus answered this question. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. In this verse, we discover at least four concepts when it comes to engaging, when it comes to responding to the issue of mercy and justice. Here's the first one, is presence. I love it as I'm walking up here, I saw something of presence written there. Is it right? There is something of presence, but you see in this particular incident, there is something about Jesus presencing himself. 
He went through. That's why we are told, the first part of verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Now, this is a went through that is totally different. The presence I'm referring to is not, no, I was there. No, this is really the presence. When we say, God, we want your presence, God is there. This is the presence that causes you to feel. This is the presence that causes you to engage. This is the presence that causes not to be just there, but it is the presence to, that causes us to do something about the situation. So the first one is your presence. How are you presencing yourself into the situations that are happening around you? Are you presencing yourself into the injustice that is happening around you, in your area, in your city, around this area, or in the city of Cape Town? Are you presencing yourself? Or are you just driving through? All right, there's someone on the roadside, you are driving, you really felt the Lord wanting you to engage with that person, but you just passed through. That's not the presence that I'm talking about. Jesus went through, he didn't pass through. We are told he went through the villages and towns. By the way, the gospel is the message of grace. I'm not here to preach condemnation or legalism. I'm here to preach the gospel to you that Jesus went through. He presents himself. And not only that, the second thing is he responded. Jesus responded. The second thing is response. You know, we are told the second part of verse 35, teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So he preached and he healed. Now, this is at a practical level. Jesus understood that the people were in need of the good news of the kingdom that brings about eternal life. But at the same time, Jesus saw that there were people who needed some physical healing. They were sick. Friends, Jesus is not here. When we presence ourselves as Christ followers in a situation, it is Jesus himself presencing himself in the situation. When we choose to respond or to ignore and not to respond, we are actually saying that this is exactly what Jesus would have done, would have just turned his back and walked away. But here we are told that Jesus never turned the back from these people. There are so many people in your workplace, in your family, in this community, in your surrounding, wherever you are living, who are like sheep who have gone astray. Like they don't have a shepherd. Jesus is our great shepherd. We are the shepherds, the minor or the way you would want to call it. We are representing Christ. The way of Jesus is to presence himself. The way of Jesus is to respond. And the third one, in fact, before we get to the third one, I want to tell you a short story. So in December, leading up to Christmas, I wake up one morning, I said to my wife, Babe, we need to look for clothes and we need to look for stuff that we can pack. We do uh, different ways every uh, Christmas to find a way that at our house, ourselves, before we can take it to the church, who are we going to bless? Because I know, as I said, I've lived in this country for 20 years. I know how stressful it can be when it's getting to December. You are thinking, you are going to spend time alone. You don't have family. You don't have people around you. You don't have money. And there's so many people like that. And I said to my wife, you have to put the stuff. Take my clothes, take my shoes, take our kids' shoes and clothes. 
we are going to fund someone or some people, we can bless them with those things so that at least they can sell those things and have some meal to put on the table on Christmas Day. And my wife asked me a question, where are we going to take them? I said, I'll come back. If I come back, I'll let you know where we'll go. So I went to the office. It was a Saturday morning. I spent time there praying, praying. At lunchtime, I just felt led to walk outside. I went out of the office. I went to walk on the side of the railway uh, in Weinbeck. As I was walking there, I found myself standing in front of one particular, I wouldn't call it a stand. It's just a piece of clothes that is put on the, on the ground. And there were, you know, just, just three pairs of shoes and some T-shirts. I found myself standing there. There was no one. Then there was a lady on the other side that said, who is selling here? The lady said, no, my mom. But in African context, of, you understand, She's not a biological mother, the lady, the one of those things. It's just because she's older, then he said, no, it's my mom. I said, where is she? Oh, she's gone for prayers. Now, I want you to understand this. This is the woman. I don't know her. I was in the office praying. The Lord just led me to go out and in uh, on a very busy day in Weinberg on Saturday. So many people selling and so many people moving around. I found myself there. Presence. Not me, but Christ in me. And I stood there because that woman, I'll tell you now, she's in serious need. And I said to the lady, I said, I want to see this lady. So oh, you can come on Monday because she doesn't come on Sunday. Come on Monday. I went home, I said to my wife, I said, I found the person where we are going to take the stuff. She wanted to know more. I haven't met the person, but I said I found the person because God led me there. And we packed the stuff on Monday. We, we drove to Weinbeck. I took all the bags that we had, and we went to the lady. I found her. She was sitting there. From distance, I said to my wife, that's the lady. God wants to bless that lady. And as we moved there, the lady was in tears. She's in her mid-60s, still strong, working. And after we gave the things, I said to my wife, I'm not going to stop here. I want to go nowhere this lady lives. I want to hear her story. My wife and I went in the evening. We gave her a lift. We got to the place. She said to us, Pastor, that day you passed, I was at the church. I was on the ground crying. I was telling God, please, my son has been retrenched from work. My daughter-in-law, she's not working. What are we going to have for Christmas, my grandchildren? What are they going to have? I was crying, I was crying, I was crying. It is God who sent you. She's a Christian. She said to me, to my wife and I, she said, I was 16 years old when I got married. A very happy marriage. Five years later, my husband just died. Leaving me with three little kids. She said, I've never remarried. I've never seen or known any other man. I've only trusted God to raise my kids. Now they're grown up. And I was crying. I said, God, don't leave me. Can you see those little things, presents? We don't just drive past, but we get to, to, to hear God. We get to position ourselves in a way that God can use us because there are so many people who are in need. We, we build a relationship with a lady um, and, and we continue to be in our life. The last, the, the, the last story is 60 years ago, Nikki and Roger, they know six years past that my wife and I went through a series of losing family members, you know, from my, life, my wife's side, from my side, and 
The last one was my, the young sister to my wife. She passed, on, uh, she passed away and leave, left behind two daughters, eight and nine. And they came to be with us. And I was asked by the uncles, can you have them for six months? We will make sure that they join us overseas. And that six months become eight, nine, then a year until one day I got back on my wife. I found her, she was sad, crying. She said, they've denied, they've denied these kids to travel. What are you going to do? We've got them. We've got already three of our own. And then we've got another lady, another young adult lady that we took in. And now there are these other two girls. I looked at my wife. I said, God will take care of it. There is no other way. Jesus is not in a physical body. He works in and through his people. And we are here. Since they are in this house, they will stay. And the girls are with us, happy, happy, feeling like part of the family. And we love to see them growing. Listen, what we want, what is my prayer for these girls is not for them one day when they grow up to look back and say, thank you, Papa Andre or Mama Sabrina. I want them to know that the love of Christ still exists in the world today. In God's church, in God's people, God's love is real. And you are the agents of that love. You and me are the people who are to follow the way of Jesus when it comes to mercy and justice. Yes, did it shift a lot of things in our family? Yes, it did, but God knows. Amen. Amen. Roger, why is your congregation so quiet? <laughs> huh? Are they really listening? Are you following? Yes. All right. You tell me if I'm messing up, I'm going to stop with prayer and the worship will come. <laughs> the third way to engage is sing. Or call it engage. You know, we see in verse 36, when he saw the crowds. So Jesus saw. Listen, we, we all have eyes. We all have eyes. But are we really seeing? What are we looking at? We all have eyes. We drive from home to work, from church to work. But can you see? Do you see? Do you re are you really sensitive to what you are looking at? Or do you just pass? He saw the crowd. The fourth one is Jesus, he felt something. Compassion. There is no way you can feel or you can have compassion if you don't look. There is no way that you can have compassion if you don't presence yourself. There is no way that you can, uh, you can be moved to action if he, you are not really in the moment of the situation. You have to be in the moment. You have to see. Then that will cause you to feel. And that will cause you to respond. Now, let me tell you what we should avoid. Since Jesus' strategy is to involve the, and, and engage the weak and vulnerable community of faith, then as we save the poor, we should partner with the poor. We need to share with the poor in the decision-making table as well. Actually, the poor should be the main partner in the decision-making process. Proverbs 28, 11. 
reminds us that a rich man may be wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has descendants through him. We should partner with the poor, not as helpers of our agendas, but in the development of a common agenda. That is a friend in the state, Robert Guerrero. Micah reminds us again, he has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Why is meeting basic human needs called not just mercy, but justice? This is a very good question that causes a lot of confusion. I'll repeat the question again. Why is meeting basic human needs called not just mercy, but justice? You will all agree that we do not all start out with equal privileges and assets. You would agree that. For example, children in Danun, your nearby township, I believe it's the nearest township to this place. Maybe there is another township. Through no fault of their own, may grow up with vastly inferior schooling and with an overall environment extremely bad when it comes to learning. Some of you with your consecutive minds may argue that this is the parents' fault or the culture's fault. Well, those of you who are more liberal will see it as a failure of government or the fruit of systematic racism. That's how you'd call it. But no one argues that it is the children's fault. No one argues that it is the children's fault. It is not their fault. Of course, it is possible for these children in Danone, born into poverty, to break out of it. It is possible. But it takes many times more courage, independence, creativity to simply go to college and get a job than it does for any child born into a middle-class world. In short, some children grow up with about a 200 times better opportunities for academic and economic success than others do. Remember I said about praying and asking God for the stubborn facts. Stubborn facts are things that you cannot change, but you can presence yourself and let God use you to change the situation. These things I'm talking about are real. This is not by no means trying to make any of you feel a sense of guilt. No, this is the truth. These are stubborn facts that are around us in the city of Cape Town. You can't ask a child of eight years old who cannot, has never had a great opportunity to go study, you cannot ask that child, now turning 17 years old, and said, why can't you just pull up your socks? You cannot do that because this child never had an opportunity like other kids have had. 
You don't expect that child to pull up their socks and to be somebody in the community. The church has a responsibility. If we are the hope of the world, we should not close our eyes to the stubborn facts that are happening in our society. Why does this situation exist? It is part of the deep injustice of our world today. The problem is simply an unjust distribution of opportunity and resources. And you would agree with me. Now let me encourage you as a church. Yesterday was the 4th of March, 2023. Around about 04 in the morning, my wife and I were camping at our boys' school. I looked at them, they were all flat asleep. I just felt like God just told me to wake up. And I started to think about coming to share with you. Amazing people. I know Nick and Roger and the team, amazing, incredible people. I just felt the Lord saying that, tell them to prepare for harvest. God is going to bring many, many people into this community. You have to get ready. I saw the multitudes. Get ready for harvest. But here's the thing. I wrote it down. Be prepared it is harvest time for you. God will boost your faith as the individuals as well as the church to take godly risks for the sake of the gospel. God wants you to take godly risks, the things I'm talking about here, going beyond and saving beyond yourself. God wants you to do that, but it is harvest time. You have to get ready. Dream big. Prepare for harvest. Now, I need to watch time because I talk as an African man. We love to talk with stories. You forgive me for that, but I'm going to be done. I'm going to be done short. So, holistic, mercy, and justice should have three focus. Within the church community, that's where it has to start. Where there should be a radical sharing of economic resources. We should care for one another's practical needs within the church. Economic, social, physical, medical, emotion, with the utmost generosity and care. It has to happen in the church. The second one, within the immediate neighborhood, where God has placed you as a church community, the church should show its sacrificial love by the meeting practical needs of people, whether they believe as we do or not. The church has to choose what pie or cake they want to buy in terms of those opportunities that God brings. And thirdly, throughout the whole city, the church should disciple Christians to band together into for-profit a non-profit that seek to save and lift up the needy of the entire city. So because you have to remember, we are here on Sunday, but we are scattered from Monday to Saturday. So the church is to equip you so that where you are, you can actually be a certain light when it comes to mercy and justice, the way of Jesus. He moved from one place to the other. He was not looking forward to a Sunday or to a particular gathering. It was a day-to-day -day living. It was a day-to-day -day life. 
It was a day-to-day -day sacrifice. It is obedience that you are doing it not because your pastors want you to. You are doing it because you understand the love of God for your life, that you are in the dark. God saved you into the light. Therefore, you are no longer into the dark. Your life and your doings are to be seen before men so that they may glorify God. In finishing, I want to encourage you to start celebrating what is already happening here. Don't keep those individual stories. Share them with your leaders. The stories of mercy and justice, it's good to be celebrated. Start doing that. I want to encourage you. It's not like it's not happening. Maybe it's happening, but because you are not celebrating it, you are not. So, so start celebrating. Secondly, choose to go deeper. Learning and growing in this area, owning it. Choose to go deeper. As I said earlier, maybe start to ask the question, what are the stubborn facts in our neighborhood? That's going deeper. We don't have time for me to go through a lot of them. And the thirdly, maybe it, it can be maybe this morning, God is calling some of you to lament. God is calling some of you to be on your knees, to start lamenting, to start repenting of the gospel opportunity that you've missed. And now you are thinking that God has had put you in the life of that particular person for a reason. But you missed the opportunity because you saw the situation as so big that you could not carry it because you've got your own issues. Listen, in this life, as long as our bodies are not fully redeemed, there is no way that we will arrive to a certain point and say we don't have problems, but because we live by faith, we know that issues will happen, but if we are the light of the world and the salt. We are to stand strong because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And I want to encourage you, steward your privilege. Now, this is a big word. You have to steward your privilege. Maybe you've never heard this before. There is nothing wrong to be wealthy. It's not a bad thing that God has blessed you with resources. It's not a bad thing that you had an opportunity to go to a better school. It's not a bad thing that you are leading a very successful company. It's not a bad thing that you are living in a very wealthy, secure, secure area. That's not a bad thing. You just have to know how to steward that privilege because God puts you there for a reason. Then, embrace the gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus does not cause us to be like prisoners. The gospel of Jesus brings joy and freedom. Therefore, celebrate. We are not going to do it on our own. God is with us. So remember this. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord prepare you for the harvest and help you discern his will. May the Lord help your elders to discern the stubborn facts of your neighborhood, things which only God can change. May the Lord open your eyes to the gospel opportunities in your neighborhoods. May you continue to grow in your love for God, the city, and for the vulnerable. God bless you.
quite hard to know how to respond well to such a profound talk. And we're going to use the last uh, couple of minutes. So I know we've gone a little over time. That's not Andre's fault. That's mine. I spoke a lot in the announcements. Um, this is, these are moments that you don't just rush over because there's a deep thing God's doing. And um, those three responses, we're just going to sing a song. And I, I feel like almost God saying, how are you going to sing this song? Are you going to sing this song into a fresh repentance, into lost opportunities? Because there's many more in the future. Are you going to sing it into a sense of lament because of just the state of our nation? That's okay. You may want to sing it into a sense of faith for what God may want to do. There's so much we could respond like. Maybe it's all of the above. Maybe there's more. There's a sense that God's speaking to me, and um, I think He's speaking to all of us. And I just want to use this opportunity as we sing to reflect and to respond by faith. Uh, you know, I think as Western as we go, it was an hour. It's normally an hour 20. Why are we an hour 30? <laughs> Actually, an hour 28. We're going to go a little longer. And just let God use this time to to speak to us and to speak to our privilege and to speak to our positioning. And uh, Father, as we do that, maybe you want to stand with me as we sing. We come to your amazing kindness made in the image of God, called out of darkness into light by sheer mercy we are objects of mercy we are not deserving of your love but you gave it and now we are children of the father as we sing as we respond this morning we we just ask you to coach our hearts into what andre so powerfully spoke to us god may may we respond in a, in accordance with that amazing harvest that you have for us that we'd be those who can handle it those whose lifestyles reflect your heart we start with our day-to-day, -day, Jesus. Have our hearts as we sing this song.